The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group, where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. This is I am Pastor Monty, um, and uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about, uh, in a continuing fashion, what Christianity is as it is represented in Scripture, and so we do that in the Christ Factor. can't wait to get to heaven and listen to Gaither leading the heavenly choir. <laughs> okay. Hey, little programming note. You might hear the uh, smooth white noise of an air conditioner in the background. That's because it's going to be over 100 in this building today, um, which is basically 90 outside if we don't uh, keep the air conditioner going. So please bear with us. Okay, so we have been talking about um, what Scripture says in regard to um, what uh, what what Christianity is. You know, we've been talking a little bit about the fact that that uh, the whole issue of uh, Christianity and its uh, branding, as it were, um, has been diminished substantially by the world, and there are lots of there are lots of groups that claim that they're representative of Christianity, but ultimately speaking, um, it's what it's Scripture has to say that gives us guidance as to what Christianity represents and therefore what a uh, believer is. And, and as uh, in our in our last segment where we talked about. Um, you know, looking at scripture, what, who is a Christian, uh, you might remember that my personal bias is, is I don't like to use the word uh, somebody is a Christian. I prefer to use the terminology that uh, somebody is a believer because the term Christian has become so diluted. Um, when you study my, my personal background, um, is uh, basically my, my advanced studies uh, looked at the issue of apologetics. And when you, when you study other belief systems, which is what an apologist does, an apologist looks at uh, belief systems and what they, what they present and how it is that they represent themselves. So when I would study other belief systems, I would uh, not go by what people said they believe, uh, but rather I would look at the source material 
uh, as much as possible for for each of those uh, religious belief systems and or philosophies. And it's from the source material that you get a better understanding of what they actually uh, represent. Yep. So that's the reason why we have been looking at what Scripture has to say in regard to what is Christianity, because it's from Scripture that we then gain an understanding of how we're affected when we then become disciples of Christ. And not only how we are affected, but, but what is expected of us. You can, you can claim to be a Christian all you want, but if you're not living according to what Scripture says a Christian is, or I will go now revert back to my, uh, my favorite, and that is what a disciple of Christ is, um, you are not what you say you are, and there, and and I will just tell you from from Scripture we know that in the Sermon of the Mount Jesus made it quite clear. Although there are many people who uh, kind of gloss over this, but you know Jesus made it quite clear that there will be many who claim that they know Him, and He will say in the judgment, "Get away from me, for I know you not." So. You know, uh, you know, Scripture itself tells us, and Jesus out of his own mouth tells us, that not everybody who claims that they um, know Jesus Christ um, will, be able to, uh, will be able to be with him in heaven. So that means that we need to have a clear understanding. So we've been talking a little bit about that. Last week we talked about the salt and uh, the uh, properties of salt and the importance of understanding that we as disciples of Christ are to be salt, we also talked about light and that the and the properties of light and that we are to represent Christ in such a way that our light shines on the darkness so that we might uh, present uh, truth and light to the world around us which uh, darkness seeks to overpower. But if you've ever if you've ever been inside of a, um, a cave or some place where it's totally dark, um, my, my daughter took um, a field trip of, of uh, deaf kids to the ape caves, mm-hmm. which uh, the ape caves are in, if you're listening to this outside of Washington or Oregon, the ape caves are uh, up in Washington. And... That you can, they're they're called the ape caves because the, of the belief that the the yeti or sasquatch or whatever you want to call them uh, lived down inside those caves at one time. But the the ape caves, you can travel, you can go down inside of them, and once you get about a half a mile down, it's totally devoid of any light. And if you then turn out the light, if you want to understand what total darkness is, you go down there and you turn off all the flashlights, and it is devoid of any light. You, if you, you can put your hand in front of your face, and you cannot see anything. Right. And so, but, but on the other hand, if you open up even the smallest tiny bit of light, it will illuminate that darkness uh, surprisingly so. And so as, as believers, we are to illuminate the darkness around us with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's kind of a long foundation, but that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. So, always, always good stuff. So, um, this morning, we want to continue to talk a little bit about that, that um, Scripture presents... Um, Christianity uh, as uh, being a, a serving in society as God's physician. Serving in society as God's physician. What does that mean? Well, essentially what it means is that um, as believers, as we go out into society, um, man, I don't I don't know if you've ever, I mean, if you've ever talked, if you, if you talk to people beyond the shallow. So, you know, if you, when you meet people and you talk with people, does your discussion stay within how's the weather? 
Well, it's always going to depend on the person. But, well, that's true. Um, cause, because my discussions never, st- <clears throat> never stay within how's the weather. Well, I know, I know yours don't, and my, and and my don't. They may start there. Mine don't either. However, yeah. And but I know there's a good group of people who that's where they want to keep their discussions, and and they don't want anything deeper than that. Right. And and but but if you happen to go beyond that, the casualness of conversation today with people. Uh, you find out very quickly that people are struggling in life. I know there's a whole group of people who believe that that is the pinnacle of relationship. Is to How's keep, the weather? Yeah, is to keep, you know, <laughs> is to never have a conversation that has any sort of depth to it because, you know, then you're rocking the boat. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, well, so so my, my, my point is here. If you didn't pick up on it, I disagree. If, yeah, no, if you... If you if you get into any type of a deeper discussion, um, you're going to find out that people are hurting out there. That their lives, that, that and I, I understand I'm making a generalization, but that basically for many people, their lives are screwed up. And, and, right. and they don't know, not, not, not only are their lives a mess, but they're confused about how to even begin to, to uh, fix it. Right. Uh, it reminds me of, and we've talked about this in another illustration, but it reminds me of when my wife has all of her necklaces uh, in one place and they get tangled up and... and, and uh, The chains. The, uh, the, chains. Cha- the yeah. chains all get tangled up and messed up together and in knots. And, you know, she finally, you know, in frustration will give it to me and say, here, fix it. And so then you have to put it on a table... And use like uh, a pin or something very, very sharp, and very slowly begin the process of unraveling the mess that is there in order to separate it. For a lot of people, that's how their lives are. Yep. And so um, we are called in Scripture Christianity because Jesus is the light of the world, because Jesus. And his teachings encompass truth to mankind, not only in the spiritual sense, but in the physical sense as well. If you follow the precepts of God, if you arrange your life using the precepts of God, then um, you're going to have less difficulty in how to deal with uh, uh, what life brings. And so um, we are to be... Uh, physicians uh, to the world. We are to seek to heal and to meet the needs of people who are exasperated and uh, don't know where to turn. Yeah. I think oftentimes the way that Christians, they have sort of a level of power in their relationship with God that they didn't have before. And so in helping people, they, <clears throat> they're, they may see themselves as a, as a doctor um, I don't know how much you've watched The Walking Dead. but uh, I have not watched that at all. So there's a character in The Walking Dead. His name's Negan. And he runs a group of survivors called the Saviors. Okay. And their thought process is that, they, um, that they're saving people by essentially taking them over. You know, they're saving them from imminent death because they live in this, you know, terrible world. Right. And so, like... The scripture calls us to be physicians. Um, that requires a surgical hand, you know. It doesn't require a blunt force object. And I think that a lot of times Christians think that because they have this power in Christ, their their thought process for doing right by people. Wow, I'm <clears throat> like losing my voice here. Their thought process by doing for doing right by people is essentially just blunt forcing them into submission. But really, it requires it's kind of like the Negan and the Saviors. They're just, you know making whatever happens to 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 make it work. Uh, but the truth is that it requires a surgical hand. Oftentimes, a sword isn't what you need. Right? Yeah. No, you need uh, one of the reasons that the uh, uh, my wife's surgeon uh, was so successful in dealing with um, the types of tumors, which that was was that was that was all he dealt with. 
was uh, the type of neuroendocrine cancer that she has. Right. But one of the reasons he was so successful was because he was uh, he was a little Indian man in stature. He was a little little man, man from India, and he and he was from India, and he had tiny little hands. Mm-hmm. And his hands could get into places right. that, that a big guy like me wouldn't be able his to. His little baby T-Rex hands. And, and he, was, uh, he was amazing. But that's true. So, yes, there, there needs to be a little bit of a delicateness sometimes. In fact, most times when you're dealing with the uh, intersection of people's lives and calamity. Right. Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Um, and we sometimes forget that. We sometimes forget that, you know, um, Jesus didn't come in order to uh, heal those who were already healed. Right. He came to heal those that were sick and broken and have difficulty in life. So we too should be that. We should be reaching out to people and intersecting with people. And the only way that you do, and, and, and so what I would say, and we've talked about this before, uh, the intersect of that is, is that you can't do that casually. So let's go out and let's uh, thump somebody with the four spiritual laws. Right. We gotta get them saved. Right. You know, we gotta chalk up another, uh, you know, like soul to the yeah. In, <laughs> you know, in World War Two, you know, they used to put how many zeros they had, you know, shot down in dogfights. Right. They, you know, so uh, translate that into uh, some people's concepts of, of spiritual battle. That's <laughs> we're not supposed to be doing that. Right. You know. But but rather, and we've talked about before, that you know our our responsibility as believers is that we are to engage people in conversation, and that's the reason why we emphasize relationship. Because you can't do that if you don't have relationship. Nobody can open up to you. Well, some people have that knack. I, <laughs> I, I my my wife has the knack. That people just open up to her. And, and some people have that. I remember one time we were in the hospital. And we were um, <laughs> we were there visit, in emergency visiting the doctor. And this um, biker, big old biker, hard-ass type of guy came in. Mm-hmm. And he'd, he, <laughs> he had a gunshot wound. Nice. And, and while, while we were... <laughs> While we were there, he, in the process of getting taken care of, he happened to see my wife and immediately came over and started talking with her and sharing about his life. His life. Yeah. And again, chat wound and the, the whole thing. And Rose is going like, what? <laughs> you know, what? She, you know, it was it was uh, interesting to watch. Yeah. There are some people that can just do that, but most people don't open up to just anybody. Right. And, you know, and, and so the so the normal way that you deal with that is you have to have relationship. Right. And allow for a getting to know you, a honeymoon type period where you get to know each other. And then people, when they feel safe, they will possibly then begin to share. Well, this is why it's so important that we, as Christians, have a relationship with the church, right? Because the church should provide that level of safety. Um, That's interesting. Uh, the ch- wow! I'm getting yeah, some I don't know what there. that's about. Um, the church should provide that level of safety for the weird. The church should provide that level of safety for the individuals within the church, where they don't necessarily have to get to know people so much as the church already has that standard. And you know, that's that's going to be the same in any sort of um, in any sort of unit that's out there. For instance, you know. Uh, police. Right. Right? Right. Or, or doctors. Right. 
right? The church should be seen as an institution, as an institution that keeps relationships holy and sacred, the same way that doctors keep your health holy and sacred, and policemen keep your safety holy and sacred. And there's always going to be corruption and things um, involved in that, you know, seep their way into those institutions. But largely, it seems like we um, sort of write off the idea that we should be able to relationally invest in the church um, without having to jump through all the hoops of getting to know. The getting to know is something that should come as a result of being a part of the institution that is the church. Right. Well, and, and, and in, the body, in the body of Christ, um, you know, it's... Okay, we've, we've got sound issues. Bear with us a second. In, in, in the body of Christ, you know, people, <laughs> when you become a disciple of Christ, it's, it's not like there's a light switch that is flipped and all of a sudden, all of your woes are, are healed. Uh, people are at different levels of growth inside of the body of Christ. And we, uh, those who are in pastoral care, recognize that you have you have babies, you have toddlers, you have preteens, you have right. you know you have teens, you have adults. We're talking spiritually now. Right. We're not talking physically. We're talking spiritually. So there is a growth process that takes place in the life of the believer, and it's it, you know it's it's wonderful. When you have uh, somebody that comes to Christ at a young age and you can help to head off many of the issues in life because Christ's precepts and principles help them to grow into maturity without uh, a lot of the baggage that people have. Right. But when somebody comes to Christ at a later age and they've got all kinds of baggage... Then you have to go through the process of not only are they now disciples of Christ, but they're, they're babies in Christ, and they, they have to learn who they are in Christ. And then they also have to begin to unpack some of that baggage that is going to hinder their growth. Right. And that takes, as Josh said earlier, a loving physician who uh, can help them surgically deal with some of the issues that uh, can be present, yeah, and and so as so the the responsibility of the church is that as we look at uh, people inside of the body of Christ, we are to be understanding of the fact that uh, sometimes people uh, are just dealing with some things, and they need uh, they need uh, some love and understanding. Um, in Luke chapter five. The same instance that is given in Matthew, you know, Jesus goes on to say that he came for sinners and he also came for uh, them to be called to repentance. And this goes back to when we originally talked about the process that the believer goes through. It's not, it's not that you don't, you know, that you, that you are completely forgiving of everything that somebody's gone through. There is a reconciliatory process where somebody has to recognize that they um, have these issues partially because of their own creation and or uh, because poor choices are in the way. And, and in order for them to proceed, there needs to be repentance. And so as you, and I think uh, you and I, Josh, and another person maybe, we're talking about the fact that repentance is an ongoing process. You have the initial aspect of repentance for the life of the believer, but then you have an ongoing process of repentance as, for example, you begin to open up your baggage and find that there are things that you now the Holy Spirit brings them to your awareness and you need to deal with them. Yep. And a lot of times believers, again, there, there's a misperception out there that um, it's, you know, the, the whole issue of seeking repentance, for example, is a, is a one-time deal. Right. And that's just not the case. Just as, you know, your relationship with Christ... Uh, you're, there's a requirement for you to grow. 
as the scripture begins to apply to your life and God begins to cleanse your life because you are being perfected. Right. In Christ, you are perfect because you're covered by the blood of Christ, but you are being perfected that you might be equipped to live as a new creation with a new body in the spiritual realm. Right, sanctification. Sanctification is what the technical term for it. So there, there is that process that we go through as believers, but part of that is as things as we become aware and healing takes place, repentance is a part of that healing process. Yep, it's huge. So um, we've touched a little bit on that. So Christianity is uh, being a physician in society, God's physician in society, and being able to help people who want the help, who need the help, uh, and who come to Christ seeking the help, being there and available to help them work through those things. There's always going to be an element of society who, well, okay, let me put it this way. There, there, I have known people who initially, when you present to them the gospel of Christ, they reject it. Right. But until somebody dies and they're physically outside of your sphere of influence, our responsibility as believers is to always be ready to present the gospel and to offer the healing touch of uh, the work of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. So, you know, just because somebody says, you know, I reject that at this point, oftentimes God will work in such a way that he brings people to a breaking point in recognition that he is sovereign. Yep. But that takes time. Takes time. Yeah, the other thing I'm thinking about in terms of being a physician is just understanding that there are lots of levels well eras maybe of care to an individual mm -hmm. where people where people essentially they will diagnose another christian right but they don't set them up with aftercare they don't set them up in our care for people the scripture teaches us that we're supposed to be um looking uh through the lens of discipleship, you know? And that means we're constantly in consult with people as opposed to be, as opposed to it being like a one and done sort of thing, just like repentance. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there's a lot of churches and individuals, as you were relating earlier, that are focused on getting the numbers in, but are not focused on the patient's well-being afterwards. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. We really need to get people into churches where they, where their faith can be grown, where their um, their health can be maintained. Right, and in that, let's just close this section with the, what what comes to mind or what my reminder is 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 that, um, and we've talked about this before, but I'll just again put it there to, for something for you to kind of chew on. You know, um, God does provide miracles, and he does bring healing sometimes miraculously uh, to us as we pray for his hand. But when people have uh, emotional, well, physical and emotional, but when people have emotional scars and things, um, oftentimes what he does is he doesn't miraculously deal with those things. But he brings into the body of Christ or he brings people in the body of Christ to the point to where as they're seeking um, help in working through those things, another member of the body of Christ, uh, the exhorter, uh, comes alongside them and helps them. Right. Because they have gone through it themselves. You see, if, if God heals you miraculously... Uh, you got nothing to give except praise, and, and really, that's okay. Praise, praise the Lord. Right. But, but if somebody comes to you and they're struggling with the same type of thing and God healed you miraculously, you didn't got nothing to give. Yep. In fact, unfortunately, your attitude may be, well, God healed me, what's your problem? You know, and that, that type of prideful response 
is inappropriate. So normally how the spirit, at least my observation in life, now that I'm old, my observation in life is, is that uh, normally God brings people to you who have gone through the same types of things so that they can stand alongside you. Right. Yeah. Same thing with spiritual gifts in particular. Maybe they haven't gone through those things, but they've gone through other things that will provide you the tools for things that you will need later. Right. Yeah, so you like, have some helps. It's a fabric. You know, it's a tapestry. Um, we need to think beyond the moment and beyond ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. So next week, oh, well, okay. So um, I, the week after next, and I'll, I'll enlighten a little bit what I, what I mean. The week after next when we get together again, we are going to, in the Christ Factor, uh, take kind of a big one. Christianity is Christ-likeness. Uh, but we're going to close the Christ Factor section um, at this time with that information because surprisingly you will, may not believe it but uh, it's been uh, 30 minutes so um, let's talk about uh, what's up with that So, um, in Florida, uh, there was a uh, couple that were uh, sitting uh, in the living room, and they heard this, it was during a thunder and lightning storm, and they heard this loud, like, sonic boom almost, and, and walked, <laughs> walked into the bathroom, and their toilet had exploded. What? Because a lightning strike hit their septic tank. Whoa. Y'all know how, so you got two basic systems. Uh, either you've got uh, city sewer to take care of your waste issues, or uh, people, or, or if you don't have a, a sewer in, then there's a septic where they, have, they build a septic tank and all of your yuck goes into the, is filtered through a process. So is that um, covered by insurance, or is that considered an act of God? <laughs> that's that's an act of God right there. Like you see those farmers um, commercials where they're like, "We've covered it all." Yeah, well, I don't know about that one. Yeah, but uh, so the a lightning strike hit the septic tank, and the plumbers believe blew up it ran the it. methane gas. Oh, that is produced by the septic, septic tank. tank. Oh, okay. And sent that charge running back in through the house and blew out all their pipes and blew up the toilet. Isn't the thank goodness no one was sitting on that? Right. Toilet. No, seriously. <laughs> oh, Isn't me. septic tanks underground? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How yeah. how the lightning strike do that? Well, and I don't know how this one was. Maybe it wasn't plumbed correctly because normally you're supposed to have some type of a a vent. Yeah in order to vent off the gas so that it doesn't build up to USA do that. USA Today calls it a first in plumbing history. <laughs> well, you know, I just, every time I think about it, I'm glad it would, you know, somebody wasn't sitting on that toilet. Yeah. It's like, wow. That was, that, that's that, crazy. That, that was powerful. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so, so then... Um, okay, so here's another one. So I thought that was kind of entertaining. Here's, a, here's another. You know what? There's a new flavor of ice cream out there okay. for, you, for you guys that are into ice cream. Right. There's a new flavor of ice cream out there. And I'll give you a hint. The flavor is good with pretzels. Mm. No take on it? Mustard flavored ice cream. Okay, <laughs> that's disgusting. That's, yeah. So, uh, so a uh, are people liking it? You know what they uh, on the show that I was watching where they introduced it, they 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 tried it. They thought it would actually tasted pretty good with pretzels. Huh. So I could imagine eating, you know, like uh, some mustard flavored ice cream with. Uh, 
pretzels or with a hot dog, for example. Right. And you know what? I mean, if you really wanted to adventurous, you could throw some relish into that. Okay. And have a mustard and relish ice cream. Here's an article with about... With your hot dog. <laughs> here's an article about how French... French is the company. French is, the yeah. One French is mustard, the, yes. Yeah. Um, here's an article about how it's uh, extremely polarizing. It's real. People are really loving it or hating it. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Well, you know, not a lot... Uh, people have different preferences in the regard, for example, how they eat their hot dogs I hate, or whatever. I hate mustard. See, and I love mustard. And apparently Oscar Mayer has introduced a hot dog ice cream sandwich to mock French's mustard <laughs> ice cream. That's, that's great. I don't know I how true it. that is. It's yeah. on a site called Boing Boing. <laughs> okay. So, you know, uh, it, anyway, that's that's all I got. Oh, uh, I'm going to share this just as a, a point of... Uh, um, on this one news program that I watch, they have a segment where they talk about, uh, you know, one more thing. Yeah. So on the uh, Fox is the five, and they were talking about uh, they 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 showed a clip of this woman that that was brought her that picked up her dog from the dentist, and dogs act like people a lot of times, and this dog. Uh, and so she's the the owner is talking to the dog who is sitting in the passenger seat yeah. as as they're coming home, and the woman is talking to him and explaining that you know I, I'm sorry baby but I had to take you to the dentist and it the dog is sitting there with this forlorn look and every time the woman talked to him he turns his head and goes. And totally snobs her. It is so cute to watch this. It's funny. The dog's like a Great Dane or a Boxer or one of those big dogs, you know. So he's got this, you know, this large developed face. Yeah. He he wants nothing to do with her because she took him to the dentist. You know, apparently there's a bunch of... uh there's uh, dental places for dogs here in Portland. Oh, yeah. No, no. Dentistry is a big thing for dogs. Um, there are ways to keep their teeth clean that you don't have to do that as much. But but uh, we're finding with our uh, our little uh, Yorkie that uh, he's starting to develop uh, tendencies like that as well. Mm. He got upset with uh, his mama, Rose, my wife, uh, for, uh, for uh, leaving him. Yeah. And he went to the corner like... Like and turned his back to her, mm-hmm. and would not talk to her. He's a teenager. Yeah, yeah. So it's he's like two years old, right? Fourteen. Uh, well, he's years. yeah, he's two years old. He's going to be in December. He'll be three years old. Yeah, so he's so a teenager. He's right just now. starting to be a teenager. Yeah. So, but he's doing the same type of thing. He kind of snobbed her, and she called to him, and he he turned around and went, and then turned his back to her. So yep. I'm not talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. So here's a good place for me to interject that next uh, next week we will not be uh, doing our program because uh, I'm taking my final week-long vacation of the uh, summer and um, headed up to Alaska on an Alaskan cruise. Okay. So we'll not be able to do my show. Uh, we can only imagine what uh, Halika is going to be like That's when, their dog. when we're gone. Yes. Yeah, so it'd be interesting. Okay, so that's that's that. Let's talk a little bit about cultural lunacy. So, in cultural lunacy, what we're trying to do is we're trying to do uh, talk about uh, some of the dynamics of what's going on in our culture. And and uh, are and there are some really wild dynamics that are going on. So we talked over the last couple of weeks. We've talked a little bit about uh, the issue of racism being thrown out there, and using that as an epithet to stop uh, conversation. And how do we as believers understand the issue of racism? So we talked a little bit about that. Um, this week, I want to just touch on the difficulty of conversation within the age that we live in um, because uh, because um, 
it's become more difficult uh, as people try to uh, peg you with how it is that you communicate. So one way that they do that is that people accuse you of an ad hominem attack. And so you can be having a discussion and people go, oh, wait a minute, that's an ad hominem attack. That's not, that's, that's wrong. That's not appropriate. What in heaven's name are they talking about? Well, I'll tell you, let's get a definition from Google. <laughs> Google, what is an ad hominem attack? According to Wikipedia, ad hominem, short for argumentum ad hominem, typically refers to a fallacious argumentative strategy whereby genuine discussion of the topic at hand is avoided by instead attacking the character, motive, or other attribute of the person making the argument or persons associated with the argument rather than... So, inside of that definition, you know, we then have a fairly good understanding of what is being said in regard to an ad hominem attack. Um, but, but I want you to note that the difficulty with it is that the definition is very broad. It's broad in the sense that when somebody's talking about somebody, um, you, if, if, if you say something that may be like a, a point out a character flaw or um, or you point out a uh, what you consider to be a flaw or you in the old days we used to call it personalization where you you personalize rather than keep on track of what the issue is yes um, then it, it it's disruptive to the conversation yes and so Today, we have lots of people who are not sophisticated in their conversation skills who get accused all the time. Even those people that are sophisticated in their communication skills, it's easy to be accused of an ad hominem attack because of the fact that there's a heightened awareness of you can only say things a certain way. So are you saying that people should be able to give ad hominem attacks? Not necessarily, but on the other hand, people don't need to be oversensitive about it either. Sometimes, you know, ad hominem attacks are, are um, or what is perceived as being an ad hominem attack is, uh, is simply a way for the person in the conversation to... Uh, deflect and not answer a question. You no, know, that's literally what an ad hominem is. But anytime anybody says you're too young, you don't have enough experience, you don't have enough education, you are on the left, you like all of those are ad hominem attacks, and all of those are invalid points. Well, depending on what the conversation is, I agree with you. So then you have to look to see whether something is whether is there is validity to what is being said. So, for example, you could say um, that either speaking directly about an individual or speaking to a conversation that somebody is incompetent. And that could be considered and thrown out there as an ad hominem attack when the reality of it is, under the definition of competency, they could be incompetent. Yeah, but you don't, you don't have to consider the source. Right? Information stands on its own. So if somebody makes a dumb statement, it doesn't matter whether the person was dumb. It matters whether the statement was dumb. Yes, and, and, and now you're... So you're splitting hairs. No, I'm not splitting you hairs. You don't believe so? Mm -mm. I, think, I think that too many people go on rabbit trails. When, so when somebody ad hominem attacks you, and then you try to justify that your position is valid based on that basically their ad hominem doesn't matter then you have already they've been successful in diverting the conversation right which was the point to begin with right at so, least you think that so is that so do you think that that it is a here's here's my question then do you think that that's a um a subconscious dynamic 
of how it is that as a society we've learned to th to uh, talk to people or obviously for some people it is a skilled manipulation but for most people do you think it's it's uh, because they've just grown up doing that yes I think that people have grown up not addressing the situation at hand is that what you're asking kind of yeah I think I mean I don't think that most people are so manipulative that they really want to try to uh, divert a conversation if they bring it up and they want to have one well I mean there's so there's deflection in conversation um, that takes place I don't know that it needs people to be intentful for that to happen I think that there there is um, like the opposite of Schaefer's moral motions there's immoral motions as well sort of urges and tendencies you know right now I'm gonna attack you you know it's that knee-jerk reaction where the kid says um, my daddy's bigger than yours and then the other kid says well my dad's bigger than yours you know that's not the kid didn't necessarily sit there and think through <laughs> like the right you know how he was gonna deal with it but it's just this knee-jerk reaction we have um, so I don't know that it requires an intent I don't know that it's wholly subconscious either. Uh, I think that it's one of those things where it's a tool and people pick up whatever tool they have in their tool bag. Okay. You know, you, you have this nail that you need to bang. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to pick up a, a, a hammer, but there's like 10 hammers that you can use. Right. You know, and if you don't have a hammer, what do you do? Well, you pick up some sort of blunt object that you have and you hammer with that. Like a rock. Yeah. Yeah. So it just depends... I don't think that it requires people to... I don't think that it's always subconscious. I don't think it's always intentful. But I think it always should be. It should always be intentful. Well, so if you're in conversation with somebody and somebody throws at you that you just made an ad hominem attack, um, how do you deal with that? Well, you ask them to define it. Okay, so meaning what did I do? Yeah. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. And if and and if it's true that you made an ad hominem attack, then you apologize and you go back to how it should be. Right, what in the, the conversation. conversation actually is. If you didn't make an ad hominem attack, then you just move past it and and you say, Well then let's get you know let's or you could I suppose you could tell them so they know in the future, but you get back to what the actual issue is. Like maybe maybe I offended you in the way that I talked. I didn't mean to. wasn't trying to ad hominem attack you. Let's get back to the issue. Yeah. Normally with my ad hominems, I like to add bacon. Okay. Nobody's going to get that <laughs> joke. Uh, unless, unless you're from down south and love right. hominy. Right. Unless um. you're from down south. <laughs> so. I mean, you, you... Not to... You know, I'm not trying to attack you. But you and... And your political people, all of the politics, that's all they do is ad hominem attack each other. You think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not every single on person. Both, on both sides of yeah. the fence. Oh, yeah, every yeah. single person. Yeah. Or, sorry, every, every group does that. You've got your people who, um, every, time you, every time that you drop out of the conversation and add a jab of the left this or the right this, as opposed to this person, what you're doing is now you're creating an ad hominem. You're uh, so by making a generalization and then ascribing certain aspects to that to that people, then saying that those are limitations that a person must act within, instead of saying that, for instance, a liberal or a person on the left is capable of having clear and rational thought removing that from them and just saying uh, they're because, all crazy. because they're on the left <laughs> they are that way yeah they're all crazy see you yeah. it, unless it's unless it's not viable unless it's so if we're talking about Christianity for instance yes unless we're talking about an apostate belief system uh, I should be able to disagree with the position of leftist Christians and right-wing Christians and see their positions as viable, just right. not and, what I would do. And so when we go back into history, and we look particularly at how the church developed in history, um, yes, you see where there are extremes, 
where um, if you don't believe the way that I do, then I'm going to kill you. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, wait a minute. Wait a well, minute. Even, we're I mean, brothers in Christ. You don't, you know, we just, we just view things differently. Like, we're having conversations right now about, um, do you know that, it was like a couple of years ago, I think, there was something called the Strange Fire Conference that was talking, it was like John MacArthur and a bunch of other, um, other not John MacArthur's, but in the same mindset. Yeah. Uh, in the same sort of reformed camp. They were talking about, um, well, it was called the Strange Fire Conference, and they were talking about charismatic, the charismatic movement, right? Okay. And so... So they were critical of the charismatic movement? Critical of the charismatic right, movement. Right, okay. And there was this, converse, there was this uh, talking point that was made where they said that just take a look at the charismatic movement and ask yourself um, where there is any sort of good works that are being done in the world by the charismatic movement. No, it's only reformed people who do good works and only reformed Christians produce good works. Charismatic people don't produce good works. There's no hospitals. There's no whatever, right? Okay. That's an ad hominem attack, right? It's you're, you're basically, you're limiting people and saying that these people are incapable simply because they have a belief rather than talking about the actual belief itself. So is it possible for somebody to look at, now just taking your example, yeah. is it possible for, say, um, an impartial observer, not MacArthurites or whatever, but an yeah. impartial observer of the church, look at the segments of the church and say, okay, so the, the Nazarites do this, and the Baptists do this, and the Charismatics do this, and the Charismatics don't seem to have any hospitals or anything now they may have they may have uh, more foreign missionaries in certain areas or etc etc but they don't produce in this particular area and so therefore I'm drawing a conclusion that they don't produce in that area yeah there's no that's not ad hominem no no there's no problem with uh, generalizing information the problem is is that it turns into ad hominem Right. It, well, it's very... It, it's the, it's, how about it can quickly... Yeah. Stereotype to racism, right? Yes. It's like there's not... There shouldn't be... In my mind, there shouldn't be a problem with stereotyping cultures and people. Anybody who says they don't do that is lying. Yeah. Like, yeah. we all do. We function that way, yeah. right? Yeah. However, when it becomes then a limitation of that culture... So, because stereotypically... The culture is this way, therefore you are this way, um, and everything you say has to be put through that filter, um, and you use that to hold a person back. That's so, ad hominem. And so that's not that's not helpful from the standpoint that when you're having discussion and you're trying to uh, boil down information and you're trying to look at. Uh, I would hope in a discussion a, a, a plan of attack. What are we going to agree on? What are you going to not agree on? So I think that, that, that part of, at least in our current culture, um, there, there's a number of people, and I don't know how profound it is either side, but there are a number of people that are at least vocal in our current culture that are, don't want disagreement. Sure. Yeah. And and so they will they will take a number of steps to either stop the discussion and or or not allow it to begin altogether. And I I mean I learned a long time ago to be to to be successful at least in my marriage relationship where marriage is all about negotiation. Okay. That that um there are simply some things that we're going to disagree on and think, we're going to agree to disagree. I think you can really see it when you look at the generational gap. Okay. Right. There's a lot, especially in churches, there is a lot of those young people. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at, when you look at young persons or on the flip side of things, those old farts, that's eh, a little bit different. <laughs> okay. Well, it's different because some of that's justified. Well, so when you, so okay, so when you look at 
this is why I'm saying it's different. Because did I throw your thought off? I'm yeah, sorry. you did. You threw me off the track. Um, this is why I'm saying it's different. Generally, with old people, there's history attached to it, so there's evidence. Oh, with yes, young people, yes. there isn't really history. There's right. just potential. So they, they're just making an assertion they can't back up. Right, in general. But as old folks, we got a history, experience. Education, right? right. So all that stuff that helps us draw that. So it's the it's the same thing. Like I think you could derive um, Paul's statement to Timothy: "Don't let your youth, don't let your uh, youth be used against you." Right. Uh, That's a way of saying don't let your youth be used ad hominem. Right. Don't let it be used to attack who you are because it's not germane to what you're doing. Right. And that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. And I think that that happens in the church all the time, where you take groups of people and you place onto them their capability completely devoid of a discussion of what God's hand is on them, on uh, their intention, on maybe skill sets that they have that are outside that are outside the norm, things that they bring into it, and instead place them into a class, uh, place them into um, a social dynamic. Or even like place them in their own history, like somebody comes from you know drugs. Uh, of course, you did something bad. You used to be a druggie. Of course, you you know so on and so forth. I don't think there's any room for ad hominem in in scripture. I I would tend to agree because because by doing that, what you're doing is you're devaluating you're de, you're devaluing the person. Yeah, and and in scripture, when we try to approach how we deal with people, we try to approach it from the standpoint that that all individuals, as created by God, hold value. Now yeah. they they may have you know bumps along the way of life that they haven't handled well, right? But we ne- can't necessarily lock them into that. In f- in fact. Uh, under the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit, we absolutely cannot lock people into, well, you were once this, and you can never change from that. Well, I think the difficulty is that we talk like people should. You know, you are an alcoholic, for instance. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I get the... Again, see, so now we're not talking necessarily about an ad hominem attack. We're talking about an, uh, an ad hominem methodology. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, like in biblical counseling, for instance, when, when I'm counseling people and they come to me with, you know, a trauma that has defined them, this is one of those things where you have to say, well, wait a second. Like, if you're an alcoholic, that's the world's way of defining the fact that you are sinning. Mm-hmm. Like, what you're saying is you have a sickness. We all have a sickness. Right. We are all sick in the mind, according to scripture, right? We all keep going back to the thing that we, um, to the thing that has enslaved us. That's one of the reasons why I disagree with things like the 12 step program. Yeah, among personally, other reasons. Personally. Among other reasons. But the scripture, the scripture calls alcoholism drunkenness. Right. And, and it defines it as a sin. Yes. So basically what you're doing by defining yourself that way is you're basing your entire life around the fact of your sin. And you're denying. So if you're a disciple of Christ and you're reflecting on where you're at in the body of Christ, you are now denying the power of Christ yeah. that has cleansed you and made you a new creation. To me, that's not much different from you to you versus from somebody else to you. You know, if I say that, well, wait a second, you can't be, if you, you know, that's exactly the behavior I would expect from an alcoholic, right? Right, exactly. That's exactly the thought process I'd expect from from an alcoholic. That's an ad hominem attack, right? Right. But when a person says, I can't grow beyond this because I'm an alcoholic, well, then you're ad homineming yourself. Right, and you're limiting yourself. Right? Instead of addressing the issue that, that... the reason why you can't grow beyond it is because you stay in your sin. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a huge aspect, I think, of our, of how psychology has kind of entered the, the church, the biblical realm, the idea of us um, 
instead of being people of the book, as they're referred to, uh, being people of the times, being people and, of the ages. And we've talked about that before um, when we talked about uh, what it means to be a disciple of Christ and the fact that, you know, uh, those things are dead. Right. And, and there's a vast number of believers uh, who give intellectual assent to who Christ is, but they haven't gone through that process of repentance and and baptism and and getting onto a new track where they deny all those things and go forward and that that can powerfully so for the individual uh, who in uh, now we turn the conversation to uh, you can it's possible for you to ad hominem yourself in that type of situation right the individual who does that that's very detrimental to their spiritual growth but in the body of Christ, we should not be encouraging that either uh, so that we help people to grow in Christ uh, and overcome those things which would hold their development. Yeah, at any point where in the conversation you could grow in, in your conversation or another person could grow, but you don't want to deal with them. And so you can replace what you say to them with you're just A, you're just A, you know. You don't. Of course, you're not going to grow because you're just a child. Of right. course, you. Of course, you did something wrong because you're, you know, you're just a woman. Of course, you don't understand this because you, you're, you're just a baby Christian. Like, I mean, the list kind of goes on and on of things. Those are all ad hominem attacks. So it's so and so that's something that we would want to eliminate from our vocabulary because number one, it's it's counterproductive to the conversation. And number two, again, we're devaluing uh, the person who we're dealing with. And that's different, of course, than that's different, of course, than recognizing where a person comes from, right? A as a starting point for their continued development toward God's standard of sanctification. Okay. So it's different, you know. So somebody says something dumb. Okay. <laughs> somebody says something dumb. And people do. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And maybe they are coming from the point of viewing themselves as an alcoholic. You don't say, well, of course you'd say that because you're just an alcoholic. What you say is, that is how you have looked at those things as an alcoholic. Here is the scriptural way of looking at it. Same right. thing as a child. You're, you don't say, you're so dumb because you're just a child. You say, here... You say, that's how children look at things, but let me show you, this is how you should look at things in the future. Or have you considered looking at things this way? Or somebody does something wrong, you know, like straight up wrong, like even straight up sinful. You don't say, well, that makes sense because, uh, you know, you're, I don't know, you came from a background that was sinful you're, or you're a new believer. So it's okay that you did those bad things, you know? That it, it's a nicer way of ad homonyming, but it's still... It's still ad homonyming, yeah. yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I tend to, when people say things stupid and I'm, we're having a conversation, my normal fallback is to say, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> that's the stupidest thing I ever heard, but yeah. it's interesting. People now, that's not ad hominem. You know how people say, uh, what is it they say? They say, there's no there's no stupid questions, right? Right, right. But as a, as a college professor, I'm here to, there are stupid questions. See, I, I kind of go the opposite <laughs> direction. I say, I lean into that, you know? There's no stupid questions. There's just stupid people. Are you not stupid? If you're not stupid, then stop asking stupid questions. Nice. <laughs> It's that, I don't think you're stupid, so why are you asking stupid, stupid questions? questions? Right, right, you're not living up to your potential there. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to end on that note. I'll bet this turned into a conversation that most of you may not have been expecting. But we really want to um, try to help people understand some of the weirdness that's going on in our culture today and particularly deal with these types of issues. So I hope that's been helpful. Next time we get together in two weeks, not next week, but in two weeks, we'll take on the issue of microaggressions. All right. Uh, another uh, 
<laughs> another fine one as I roll my eyes. Right. Okay. So, uh, unless you got something to add, um, I'm good. Okay. Well, if you're someone who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith or if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, we want to help you. So check out the help tab at abfpdx.org. And remember that we're always open to questions. Pastor Monty is ready and waiting to deliver some sage advice and insight. Don't be shy. Uh, the Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of the Lathia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance ABS web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church, local, and at large. If you want to be a part of the VRN and what we're doing here, you can join Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture, Insanity, The Upper Story, and Cross-Examination. And you can comment and question in real time. And if you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our networking shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. Head over to abfpdx.org and click the Donate tab. Even a $1 a month uh, donation will be put to good use for the gospel. And if you're poor like us, that's okay too. You can still partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. So take a second to visit the group page after the show so that you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week which remember generally is on tuesdays at 11 a.m but will not be next week um so until our next uh, show we'll see you then i'm pastor josh your engineer and senior pastor over at abf and this has been pastor monty the views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the lathea bible fellowship you are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.